Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right, episode 26 of the Asking Why podcast. Um, we have Chantal Small. I said I'm going to butcher that because my sister's name is Chantel, so I keep wanting to say the wrong the wrong thing. But uh, we're glad to have you here. Uh, you were at Christ, uh, it used to be Crisis Pregnancy mm-hmm. Center. Now it's Care Pregnancy Center. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the goal of this podcast today for those listening, are, we're going to talk about uh, kind of the pro-life movement, um, talk a little bit about pro-life versus um, pro-choice, um, what the Care Pre- Pregnancy Center offers and what it does, and maybe some myths and some misconceptions about pro-life and um, what that is. Because and it's a really hot topic in our culture, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people have misconceptions and misunderstandings. Um, they have their own stances on things based on politics and based on church and based on information. And so um, I just thought it'd be good to kind of talk about that and talk about what you do, but also how can we all get plugged in if it's something that we're passionate about on either side, and how can we make the world better in that way and give people more resources? So. Yeah. So tell us kind of who you are and what you do. And yeah, well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, Chantal Small. Um, so I'm actually a New Yorker, born and raised, um, lived around a couple of different places. Uh, my husband and I met at Bible college. We, um, came to the South, uh, almost 11 years ago. I've got two kids, nice. um, almost an 11 year old girl. And then my son just turned eight. Okay. Um, we are passionate about just people in general, just loving people and authenticity is kind of our heartbeat. Um, and so when it comes to the CPC, the pregnancy center, um, the Lord honestly led me there, um, almost five years ago. It was like one of those spur of the moment things. I just had this weird feeling I need to go apply. And I, and I did. Um, but I've been pro-life and my journey has kind of evolved, um, as far as my views goes. Um, you know, my convictions are much stronger now, so I'm just a huge advocate for people, vulnerable people, both babies and women. Nice. So tell us a little bit about what the Care Pregnancy Center is. So, uh, we are a faith-based pro-life ministry. Um, we started 28 years ago, um, actually on a kitchen table, 28 years ago, uh, Hope Medical Group for Women, the abortion clinic existed. Um, there was a lady whose sister went and had an abortion. She fell at a loss. Um, and so this, the sister decided she was going to start something to offer women, not just hope, but also options information. Right. So we have a clinic. We are a licensed clinic. Um, we've got a team of, of nurses. We've got a medical director. He's been, um, um, an OBGYN for almost, almost 50 years, actually. Um, we also have a parenting resource center. So we believe in coming alongside the woman on way after she's had her baby till at the very least our resources are available till she's three, but the mentorship part of the program can be for years after that. Okay. Until the baby's three, is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Oh, Until okay. baby's three, yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, what other what other resources do you offer? So, um, in the clinic itself, we've got um, options counseling, free pregnancy testing. Um, the lady has the opportunity to sit confidentially with one of our um, trained um, 
we call them client advocates, more like a peer counselor. Mm -hmm. um, they know from our paperwork they have to sign that we're confidential, that we don't refer perform abortions, and that we're just peer counselors. They are kind of aware of all that. Uh, from there, if her test is positive, she has the opportunity to have a free ultrasound. Um, off, offhand, an ultrasound can cost anywhere between four to $500, so we offer those for free. Mm -hmm. uh, they're limited, so we only look for heartbeat, uh, gestational age, and to see um, if baby's in the uterus. Gotcha. Um, we also encourage fatherhood, the fatherhood initiative. We believe in empowering the man to be a leader, and especially that fatherhood begins in the womb, so we invite him to be a part of our program. From there, if she has, um, or if, if they had that need for not just uh, monetary items like strollers, pack and plays, you know, pampers and things like that, but if she wants the emotional support and the educational support, we've got parenting classes galore that you can think of. They're updated continually. Um, Co-parenting classes, they, they go all the way from pregnancy through the toddler years. Um, and we also have healthy relationship classes. Our vision statement is to create a culture where abortion is unthinkable. Mm. So to us, it's not just about making abortion illegal. It's not about even just minimizing the numbers of abortions. It's about changing the mindset of why it's, it's needed in hopes that people won't, won't think that it is anymore. Yeah. And so um, one of the things that we do is a sexual risk avoidance education. So helping them to understand, um, you know, the STD education, that's part of it, but also healthy relationships and boundaries, um, being selective with your partners. So our curriculum goes from faith-based all the way to if the girl or the lady is, is non-faith-based, it, you know, it's basically, she's welcome to come as well. Yeah. So you're giving them <clears throat> education, not just like, here's the right thing to do or the wrong right, thing to do, right. but here's your choices, mm -hmm. you know, letting them make the best choice with informed information. Absolutely. That's mm -hmm. awesome. So how did you kind of come about being passionate about this and getting involved in kind of the pro-life movement or? So I didn't grow up in church. Um, I think that's important to say because uh, I didn't have anybody telling me what to believe, whether pro-abortion or not. Um, I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 17. Um, I got saved from attempted suicide. Mm. Uh, from there, I had this just insane desire to read the Bible. So I religiously, forgive the words, but religiously read it every day. Yeah, I'm going to slow you down. So, because <clears throat> you went over that really quickly. So you, <laughs> when you say you got saved from an attempted suicide, do you mind kind of telling that story a yeah, little bit? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, so I, uh, my father was very, uh, he's a little mentally ill, which, hey, this is what you do for a living. Right, yeah. So, We're um, all he, a little mentally yeah, ill. Yeah, all of us. Yeah, dysfunction. Um, so we grew up in a very violent home, um, domestic, verbal abuse. Um, there was some sexual abuse in my past when I was a little girl. Um, I'm the oldest of four, and my mom, uh, there was a lot of infidelity for my father's part, and that kind of spiraled her into depression, and she became an alcoholic. Mm. So I was the main, um, I guess you can say adult, but I was 16 um, at that point. I ruined my chances for art school. I had always wanted to become an art, you know, uh, I wanted to draw for Disney, that was my goal. Um, but you had to have a B average in math, mm. which I failed at, and so um, at that point, I just, uh, had the wrong friends, the wrong influence, um, but someone shared the gospel with me when I was in, um, a freshman in high school, and it had never left me. And what she shared with me was, because I knew about God, and like I had told her, I knew God was real, but I thought he was so far and, and detached from humanity. Mm -hmm. um, but she said, you can have a relationship with God. So that never left me. 
So you fast forward, I'm 17, I'm sitting in my basement in New York, and um, I'm preparing to take a bunch of pills. I'm sitting on the floor, I have a had a journal, I love to journal since I was little, and so I, I, my goal was to write um, a goodbye letter basically to my family. But in the back of my mind, this thought came out to me is, why can't you reach out to God? So instead mm. of writing my letter, I started writing to God, and I still have this journal to this day. Um, wow. And I just pretty much just said things like, you know, I want so badly to be loved, I want so badly to know that there's a future for me and it was wild because even the little sins that I had done bothered me so much to where I knew that I was I, I knew I needed a savior basically so I in that moment I didn't know how to pray um, but I just said God you know I want to live for you I don't know what that looks like so I closed my journal decided to go to bed the very next morning I woke up I felt completely different I was I had this desire to live I knew God did something. I had a youth pastor a long time ago told me that it was almost like the Holy Spirit hugged you. It's mm -hmm. kind of how I can describe <laughs> yeah. it. Um, I kept going to school that, that day and I said, you know, God bless you to everybody. And they kept saying, I didn't sneeze. Why are you saying God bless you? You know, because I knew God did something. <laughs> Especially in New York. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's pretty much how the journey started. Um, I, just as the Lord would have it, I just so happened to find a Bible-believing church to go to. We had attended it a couple times, but we attended several churches. Mm -hmm. um, and that's pretty much where I was discipled. Um, so yeah, that's how kind of how I got saved. So in, in the moment of that, that was my uh, second semester junior year, um, you know, seeking God's will, at that point decided I was going to be a missionary. I was going to go to a Bible college. I found a really good one. So yet still, I had never known what the topic of abortion, as far as scriptures goes, what to believe about it. Mm -hmm. And so um, there was a high school paper that had come out. Um, it was written by students. A bunch of students would just write on random topics, most of it political. But um, I was a very shy student. I think that I was painfully shy is the words my mom right. would use. I think that's important to, to reference. Um, because when I saw an article written by a girl that said um, a woman's right to choose, immediately something just sprang up on the inside, um, almost like this righteous, this righteous anger kind of a thing. And I wasn't angry at her, but just at this topic because as I was reading it, because I remembered studying Psalm 139 and I remember reading Jeremiah 1.5 and these verses didn't line up with what she was saying in, you know, mm -hmm. and it was the, um, the <clears throat> amount of encouragement that the article received that, um, enabled me to feel the the bravery to write the rebuttal so the rebuttal article i wrote um was no right to live and i just basically came at the emphasis of um, every human being has value and every human being should be given a chance to live and they can make their own choice whether they want to live or not so that's how i would say i became pro-life gotcha that's a that's a heavy story it is it's a lot yeah 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 we were talking about you talking fast before so you're doing good on your pace <laughs> thanks but you got through a lot of that really good <laughs> yeah that's i mean do you use that story a lot with what you do now i do um you know it's funny i didn't even think about that um i would say when i truly became what i call pro abundant life it was a few years after that mm -hmm. um I'd say that's probably when God started to speak to me, especially theologically and what the scriptures say, um, and just being an advocate for the most vulnerable, you know, of, of humanity. But what were your what was the responses to your rebuttal? Um, actually, a lot of positive ones. Surprisingly, in a very liberal school in New York, um, I had a I remember a teacher came came behind me and patted my back. I remember um, I was in the nurse's office getting weighed for something, and she said, "Oh, you're Chantal Montijo. You wrote that article." I said, "Yeah, I did." You know, so a lot of positive ones. Um, hindsight I kind of wondered if maybe the girl who wrote it might have been post-abortive yeah. now now knowing what I know I kind of almost feel a little bit 
um, I don't know, compassion, I guess you can say. Um, yeah. And I would say that because I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know, I always like to give caveats. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you have had an abortion or you're struggling with the, the, the idea of an abortion or you're, you're pro life or you're pro choice, like we're not, you know, we're not taking a stance to shame anybody mm -hmm. or to make anybody feel less than, um, we're just talking about your belief on it, what you do, why mm -hmm. the care pregnancy center has been so great. But if you're out there, and I would think that's probably what you're saying mm -hmm. is like the lessons you learn is that people are people. Yeah, absolutely. And that when people are going through things and they're hurting and they're in pain, you know, they get lost in what to mm -hmm. do. And you can you can take a stance and have a position, and we'll get into that as we go, and not be hateful and not be judgmental and right. not be critical. And I think that's one of the things y'all do really, really well. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, thank so, you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I know we've talked before. Yeah. And so I, I just want people who are listening who are maybe triggered by this conversation or what they've done in their past and the shame they feel to be able to let that go, mm -hmm. you know, and, and hear that you are loved and valued. And if this has happened to you or been a part of your life or been an experience you've had, um, this conversation is not to shame anybody or say, right, you know, how dare you or you're a bad person. Mm -hmm. But yeah, a lot of times people have those stances because of their experience, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. We always say, um, even the girls that we see that are posted or that come in considering an abortion, um, sometimes the baby is not the problem. The baby complicates a problem that already exists most of the time. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes getting to the root of what is it that you're, you know, that you're afraid of or what is it that's really bothering you? You know, they, they see the baby and they immediately focus on that, you know, being the, the, the evil entity, I guess you can say, but the reality of it is it's just so much more that goes into someone who considers an abortion and compassion needs to be had, um, all the time. Right. Um, so, um, having said that, um, I would say I was pro-life. Um, Embrace Grace is oh, an amazing ministry. They come alongside women through the church ministry. Okay. They have this slogan. They say pro-life saves the baby, but pro-love saves them both. Mm. And so uh, when I became pro-love was um, fast forward a few years later, I was pregnant with my daughter. Um, I had... Um, well, that'll change your view of everything, right? Yes, yes, especially <laughs> then because you're emotional. Um, sometimes God will speak to me in dreams. I know it sounds really weird, but um, it doesn't happen often. But sometimes you wake up and I'm like, that was not that was not my mind. Mm -hmm. um, and I had this dream. Uh, a friend of mine in real life, uh, my, my good friend at the time, she had told me, hey, um, I talked to the doctor. He told me that uh, my husband and I can't have children. I've got something wrong with my body. I can never have children. I said, don't, you know, let's just pray about that. You know, don't just believe that. We'll pray. God can do anything. So in my dream, she had approached me um, and she said, hey, Chantal, you know, um, guess what? God answered my prayer. I'm pregnant. And then my loved one, I'll just say that my loved one came to, my, to me in the dream as well. And she said, I'm pregnant too. And I looked at her and I said, but who's the father? And then I woke up. So why that was so um, interesting was because this loved one of mine was in a very committed, a very loving relationship for at least five years. Um, and it just was the most interesting thing. I thought, so it, it was a very impactful dream. It stayed with me, but I dismissed it as being just a random, maybe I had weird pizza for dinner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but a week later, that good friend of mine said to me, hey, Chantal, guess what? Um, God answered our prayers, I'm pregnant. And immediately I knew this loved one is in trouble. So I uh, made a phone call to my mom and I said, hey, um, I had this dream and she you know, went to this loved one's apartment and she's just looking for evidence. She ended up going through her glove compartment and saw um, a certificate for an appointment for an abortion. So she approached her um, 
you know, again, this is those things that hindsight, you look back and say, gosh, if we had just done things differently, if I would have known how to approach someone in that position, um, you know, she would be a totally different person today. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, fear took over, you know, for my mom, fear took over for the family and long story short, the person, um, did abort. She didn't know who the father was. Um, and she is the high statistic of women who suffer what they call post-abortion stress. Um, when it comes to like the, the signs, you know, how do you know if you're one who will suffer? She was, she hit a lot of those boxes. Can you talk me, can you talk through those? Yeah, definitely. So one of them is, um, do you have feelings of wanting to keep the pregnancy a secret? Uh, do you have, um, feelings of wanting the baby? Um, do you have any kind of, um, past childhood sexual abuse or recent traumatic experiences? Um, are, is anybody forcing you to an abortion or coercing you to abort? Um, are you having relationship problems? And there's a whole, whole list. But those are the top ones that for sure, especially um, she was listed under. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it significantly increases your risk for, you know, kinds of things like PTSD, um, suicidal thoughts and behavior, um, substance abuse, you know, anxiety, depression, all Post-abortion. kinds of things. Post-abortion. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. So, so it's basically saying, for those of us like me, they're dumb. So it's saying that if it's not as clear cut as everybody has a great life, mm-hmm. they had sex with somebody, and now they're like, oh, I just don't want this baby. But right. that's not the normal story. Is that no, what you would say? No, it's not the normal story. And, right. and not everybody. And we always list it as these are possible risks. It's not a, a for certain that if you have these you know, listed that you will go through these things. It's a more likely. It, yes, exactly. Very high increased risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People ask me that all the time about sex, you know, sex before marriage. And I'll be at a talk or in a you know, study or whatever. And people will you know, want me to talk to their kid about why is it that you shouldn't have sex before marriage. Mm-hmm. And, and I always like to take the stance of that as, as like a risk assessment. I mean, I can get into it biblically, but the more partners you have, the more likely you are to mm-hmm. you know, have problems later. It's not a guarantee, right? right? It doesn't mean everything's going to be a disaster and you can't have a good sex life or you won't get married, mm-hmm. but you certainly increase your risk as you go. Right, absolutely. And, and I think it's the same thing as what you're trying to say is that if you have had trauma, if you have a, the, the list of things, then having an abortion, your risks are far greater than someone without all those kind of things. Absolutely, absolutely. And that reminds me a lot of, I mean, the ACEs study, which I've talked about a bunch, which is Adverse Childhood Experiences Scale. So yeah, if your ACE score is mm-hmm. high and you have an abortion, it's going to increase, you know, the yeah. consequences. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and she was one of those people. And um, I do share that story often. I usually I actually will share it with my clients, uh, not as a manipulation thing, but as a kind of relatability thing. Like, hey, yeah. I, I understand I have this loved one that's been through that. Um, it's actually humility too, because you're saying I didn't do it right. Oh yes. I remember, I'll tell you the most uh, devastating part of my memory that I remembered was again, I I was pregnant. So I was emotional myself, you know, and I, here I am, I'm eight months pregnant and I'm about to give birth. So I'm, I'm relating my situation with, you know, what she had done. So I regret it, but I'm glad God used it. So she approached me afterwards and she, I can tell she wanted to talk, but part of me was so Part of me felt so much empathy for her and compassion, but the other part of me felt like I need to be, I need to be strong and show her that I'm angry with what she did. Mm-hmm. So when she came to turn to talk with me, I completely changed the subject and turned around. And, and like my heart aches to, to this very day, I can see her face expression of just you know remorse and. Um, but that's the fuel that I use now to make that personal connection in the counseling room with the girls and um, and just let them know, hey, listen, you matter just as much. So. That's what the Lord used to teach me that, you know, he gave me that dream, not just because of that baby, which of course he obviously cared for, but because he cared for this loved one just as much. Man, I mean, that's such a hard story. And I think a lesson that a lot of us have to learn in the caring field 
as we screw up, mm-hmm. you know, as we make things about us, we, we call it countertransference in yeah. therapy. So somebody's sitting here and it's a, it happens to me quite often when it's a divorce situation and I'm working with a family and there's a kid and there's a divorce, mm-hmm. I can feel the, you know, my parents divorced when I was eight. And so, you know, you don't stop living with those consequences. Yeah. And so I can feel myself just passionately wanting to yeah. fix the problem mm-hmm. But it's not my story. Right. right? It's right. not my situation. It's not my parents. It, it, right. it doesn't guarantee anything for this kid's life necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you can step in it, you know, yeah. and say the <laughs> wrong thing or do the wrong thing um, because of that countertransference. And so I think one lesson people can learn is don't make things about you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, is compassion means, you know, moving yourself out of the center of the story and putting the other person in context and saying like, and Jesus did that a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, he was never making it about him. I mean, ultimately, it's about him. But in his way, he loved the woman at the well and the way he served and the way he yeah. met with the Pharisees and the way he met with those that are hurting and sick and who were unclean to the yeah. world. You know, Absolutely. he didn't say, oh, you should have listened to me or how dare you do this or you've now wounded me because you're behaving this way. Yeah. You know, I always get asked a lot, how can you how can you do that? How can you sit before someone knowing that they want to? And just for lack of a better, this is what they say. So sure. it's not what I say. Um, they'll say, how can you sit before someone who wants to kill her baby? And I say, you know, um, do you know that story where Jesus sees the woman, the funeral procession, and he sees the woman weeping for her son who was dead? The Bible says he looked at her and he had compassion for her. He's never had children. He didn't know what it was like to be a mom. He didn't know what it was like to lose a child. And so yet he can still empathize with her because he knows what loss feels like. I don't know what it's like to have an abortion. I don't know what it's like to sit in a chair and and wonder who's the father and and am I going to be rejected, but I do know what it's like to feel alone and I do know what it's like to feel afraid. And so if I can tap into that emotion, I can say, this is what this person is truly experiencing right now and this is what I need to minister to. Absolutely. And be a learner, right? I mean, I think one of the things you do well is, you know, being in that position and and learning from them and Mm -hmm. listening to them and letting them express their story and how they got there and I mean, that's a lot of the point, right? It's yeah. not coming and saying, hey, here are the, here are the yeah. resources and the rules and the law, and, and this is what you should do. Right. It's like, let's be in relationship. Let me get to right. know you and get to know your situation, and then we can have some context for what's maybe what's better for you or Absolutely. what's best for you. Or, yeah. But you get to make that decision. Absolutely. And that's what we tell them when they first come in. You know, we have this phrase we use, earn the right to be heard. So let them know that you love them. Let them know that you're here to listen. I'll even tell them, hey, my name's Chantal. I want you to know everything's confidential. I'm going to ask some questions. We don't have to answer anything you don't want to. I'm here for you. I'm here so that you you can have someone to listen and that you can have an you know, informed decision to make afterwards. Yeah, that's super good. Okay, so tell me about the pro-love abundant life uh idea aspect yeah so then you have i know it sounds like it's steps but uh, pro-life you know saving the baby pro-love saving them both pro-abundant life so we are actually not our own entity we are the umbrella of our organizations called carenet they were founded by dr billy graham um who's that no i'm just kidding <laughs> uh, i'm gonna say huh? i don't know um but uh so it's like who is this guy so they have uh i mean gosh they have pregnancy centers that are you know different denominations like catholic pregnancy centers but overall i love them because they keep us accountable with our beliefs um and so they have this idea now they want us to continue to talk about called pro-abundant life so it goes so for example we uh, we don't receive government funding so that we can share the gospel freely um, this is one of our choices that we've made. Um, so we do share the gospel, or at least we offer it with each client. You know, we always ask permission for everything. Um, but um, 
just because she chooses life, if she walks out of our door and she's never heard the gospel and she didn't know about Jesus, how is that, how is that going to affect her patterns and her lifestyles if she doesn't know the Lord? Mm -hmm. Um, and simultaneously, um, just because she chooses life, we don't just give her a thumbs up and say, good job, you know? So we want to come alongside her and prove that we are pro abundant life because we not only care for her life after pregnancy, but also the baby. Yeah. Which brings us to, you know, it's like one of the big problems with this podcast or with these conversations is and I know a lot of my friends that live in California and people who are more on the liberal side. I mean, I'm extremely moderate, but you know, is that people are pro-life or pro-birth and not pro-life, mm-hmm. right? That they, they get on this political kick and they want babies born and abortion's terrible and it's murder and all those kind of things. And people can take their stance however they want to on that. But if you don't follow the, if you're not in relationship with people, if you're not discipling people, if you're not loving on them and giving them resources right. throughout their life, that's a major problem. It is, absolutely. And so I think y'all do, so speak to that. That's what you're yeah, saying, yeah. right? It's like, we're not just this place that's like, don't kill your baby, right, right to be harsh. You right. know, it, but you're like, no, who are you? How'd you get here? And then how can we, whatever decision you make, walk alongside you as you move forward? Is that yeah, accurate? Yeah, accurate. And so, and so pro-abundant life. Obviously, you're on the side of them not having an abortion, but. Right, but if they do, um, so if they do, let me go to that part, we have what we call an abortion recovery class. So we want them to receive healing. And a lot of times we'll minister to a girl. She feels the love of God. You know, we're pretty proud of that 85% of our, our marketing is just by word of mouth from clients. So we have a great reputation in the community. Absolutely. So even if she does abort, you know, we did our job well. We ministered to her. We loved her. We gave her truth. We were, you know, objective. We were confidential. And then we still offer her this post-abortion healing healing group, healing class that she can go and be a part of. We've had people abort, maybe even the fourth abortion, and they'll come back, and they know they can come back, and that speaks volumes oh to us. Oh, my gosh, that speaks huge volumes. Yeah. Because I promise you, yeah. from a therapeutic trauma standpoint, if they don't feel safe, if they're not feeling love, they're not coming back. That's awesome. So that's, I mean, that's incredible that people have the abortion and still come back and receive the resources. Oh yeah. From you. Oh yeah. We've got, um, and we also have like some of our strongest client advocates are post abort you know, post abortive women who made the decision sometimes even decades ago. Um, but they now want to speak to that on a relational level and say, Hey, look, it wasn't as empowering for me, you know? Um, but that part, the pro abundant life is like coming alongside her and wanting her to know, Hey, your life matters beyond any decision you've made. You know, the Lord still has a plan for you. He still loves you still has a purpose but then when it comes to like say after birth so um yeah i mean gosh there's so many things that can be said um like i think about foster care how many children can end up in the foster care system i know the state of arizona uh, a child in the foster care system is worse off than if he or she were in their own home mm-hmm. um and so just because a woman comes in and she's you know thinking to carry what is her situation like is she on drugs is she you know is she homeless you know uh, even in those situations i'll share about adoption you know i'll share about different resources to help her get help because we want to care for them way beyond the decision to say i want to carry right so you're not just manipulating them into keeping the baby themselves and saying hey this is the only way to do this you're saying if you're going to keep the baby here the resources exactly and so we never um so there's a lot of, you know, statements made about pregnancy centers. And that's not to say that, that some don't exist that Absolutely. do use that. Um, but we pride ourselves and our, the umbrella of our organization prides ourselves on just truth. 
Um, I heard this quote the other day. I can't remember the author, but it said, uh, truth is revolutionary in a culture of deceit. Mm. So we don't have to deceive anybody. We don't have to manipulate. We just share the, the truth, share the objective material that we have, um, and then just show them the truth. Show them, hey, we mean it when we say we'll come alongside you um, for them to see you know, what's available to them. Um, so yeah, we definitely pride ourselves on that aspect of it. And we ask permission, like, you know, I know you're saying you're considering abortion. Would you want abortion information? If they don't want it, we don't force anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but education is like huge to us. We want to empower people. So in that regards, um, yeah, if she's, um, um, if she's not, if she's considering, you know, all her options, she's undecided, um, we'll share with her all that information. And of course, in the hopes that if she does choose life, she knows that there's so much more beyond, um, in helping her, um, and then, of course, too, uh, another part of the pro-abundant life is talking about healthy relationships. I don't think it takes into account, I'll hear people say, and this is kind of what pet peeves, they'll make comments <laughs> about women like, oh, she should do this and she should do that. And never never once do I ever hear anything said about the male partner. Yeah. You know, um, a lot of times, I mean, gosh, we've seen women who are missionaries and residents who have unplanned pregnancies, pastors, daughters, you know, anybody in all kinds of places, you know. Um, and pain is, is not to one specific group it's to anyone you know Mm -hmm. everybody makes mistakes but um but loving them well requires you know helping them to their specific journey um what resources are available to you that would help you to be successful way beyond after you have the baby yeah that's amazing so what you said your pet peeve so what what do you guys do for that side i mean that's why you offer the the husband or the dad Mm -hmm. to come into the room Yeah. yeah so we um so my favorite conversations, we, we educate on what we call um, sexual risk avoidance. So a long time ago, it used to be called sexual abstinence. I mean, we still, it's, that's pretty much still what it is. Um, we're encouraging them. Like I told my, my staff, I said, you know, we're talking to people that don't know Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit's not doing that transformative work inside of them. So at the very least, helping them to be selective on who not just their sexual partners are, but who their friend groups are. Right. You know, like the influence of the world is like gravity, but you can choose who you have, who will have influence in your life. Yeah. And I mean, for me as a, a sex addiction therapist, like it's not about, I don't have to bring religion into it. We have mm-hmm. enough evidence and facts that having yeah. sex with a bunch of random people is not good for anybody. Right, right. So that's yeah. kind of the conversation, right? It's yeah. like, it's not just don't do it or you're impure, you know, anything like that. It's more of the like, hey, here's your risk assessment. Right. And here's here's most likely what's going to happen if you keep doing this. Yeah. And so just like conversations. Like because their ex- parents didn't have that conversation. No. You know, that's another problem is we assume that people who are coming into an abortion clinic who have had sex, who have gotten pregnant, a lot of people are like, well, they shouldn't have done that or they, they're bad people or they're immoral or they're poor or they're whatever. And the reality is, is that I know this is that none of us in this culture are doing a very good job on educating mm-hmm. our children around sexuality. That's right. There's a huge culture of neglect um, and talking to them about all kinds of things from masturbation to using the right terms to menstruation. Mm-hmm. And you can just magnify that depending on their socioeconomic status. Absolutely. So it's like if people who are middle to upper class aren't doing it, then the consequences, right, aren't that as extreme. And just like with everything else, the lower income you get, the more consequence that has for people. Because the more opportunity they have, the more lack of supervision, the more they're trying to get affirmation and attention and affection from people. And so it's like, if you were them, if you had that same, you know, culture, then you would be doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so we have to do this prevention work 
that no one wants to do. Right. Or right. that we're not doing and the government's certainly not doing. Right. To get to these kids when they're zero to six to seven to twelve. So they don't end up in your office at 14. Right, right. But we want to all argue about like this, this, hey, what do we do when they're 14 and have an abortion? Well, we do need to have some things, and I'm glad you're <laughs> yeah. there. But the problem is way before that. It is. I had, gosh, my youngest client, we've had nine-year-old. Mm. Um, that's our youngest so far. But my youngest client was 11. She just turned 11. My daughter at the time was nine. Um, I saw her. It was like Christmas time. The mother was just just beside herself, single mom. Um, she had found sexting, you know, messages on her phone and said, "I don't know what to do." So I, I sat with the girl for a while. I youth pastored for seven years. So I love teenagers, mm-hmm. and so that age doesn't scare me. But um, but I sat with her and I said, "You know, so tell me. So um, when did this start? Because obviously we know it didn't just start with sexting. It started somewhere." And so she told me that her friend group, um, at the age eight, and it's just it breaks my heart. You know, we're just they're just casually having sex with each other. So yeah, I mean, gosh, young, young kids are all, you know, experimenting. Um, and, and parents don't know, and they don't think to have, you know, age appropriate conversations with them because they think, well, surely they don't, they don't know these things. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, when, so, let me clarify. So when you said your youngest are nine and 11, what do you mean by that? So my, so my youngest, so my daughter at the time, no, not your daughter, but the people that you've seen that are clients. Oh, so the youngest client that we've had that was pregnant was nine. Oh, wow. Um, the youngest client that I've seen, uh, personally that I, I got to talk to was 11. Okay. So mm-hmm. you were saying that we're pregnant. I was just clarifying yeah. that for people. Cause I think people forget that that's a reality. Yeah. Well now the 11 year old, she came in, um, not because she was pregnant. She came in just as specifically mom said, I need someone to talk to her about sex. Right. And so we talked for a while, you know, you know, some of the things too, I think on this topic of, um, just educating about sex, some of the girls that come in, um, mainly, mainly from being raised in, in the church, being raised in very strict religious homes, even their concept of sex is like terrible. You oh, know? absolutely. <laughs> so, but even encouraging them to understand, like they're the ones that don't know the least about their bodies. They know the least about, you know, their first menstrual period and, and just their cycles and things like that. Um, so yeah, education goes uh, full ways. Um, oh, for sure. I mean, you wouldn't have, I mean, the amount of people who I talk to who are educated and successful, mm-hmm that don't know about sexuality at all, yeah. you know, is, mm-hmm. is, is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, all of it goes back to education and prevention and, and we're in, I mean, I'm doing some talks at the Y right now, not to plug that, but the whole goal is how do we educate and prevent so that we have a generation moving forward in the church, at least, um, who are healthy, who Absolutely. have a good middle view. That's not, you know, completely, Hey, you can't do anything. And once you get married, you can do everything. Or, hey, you can do everything and it's all fine. Yeah, absolutely. Because those are the two large majority of the people that I interact with on a daily yeah, basis. Absolutely. And then you have the aspect of the girls that are sexually active. What what um, percentage of that are girls who were abuse victims? And that's all they've known. Oh, man. You know, we see a lot of those. You know, um, my most compelling client I've ever had it was earlier on when in my time being with them. Um, she actually may, may have come from your, your services. So she said, um, she heard about us from her trauma therapist. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, okay, so do you mind me asking, you know, what do you go to trauma, trauma therapy for? And she said, um, when I was age seven to age 12, I was violently raped by a family member. Um, I guess it was in the state that she was in because she, she was um, comparing it to Louisiana. She said, it, had it happened in Louisiana, things would have been different. In her state, the law didn't require for the state to remove her from her home. Mm-hmm. So even though the perpetrator was removed, her grandmother coaxed her to tell the courts she dreamt it. So she did. And so this man's a free man. And so she suffers, you know, trauma post that. And so she just looked at me and said, I could never be a good mom. And it hit me so strongly. Is that how in the world can I 
you know, get her to be education, you know, that her baby matters, that her unborn baby that she's never seen has intrinsic worth and value if she was taught and shown her whole life that she has no value. Mm. And that is so key. And I think that when it comes to like the pro-baby or pro-life pro argument, they forget that that's a person. And truly the only person who can choose life for that baby is that mom. And if she knows that her life has value, that she was known to be, you know, to be created before the foundations of the earth, she'll think differently about not just her life, but her babies. Absolutely. I think that's such a key point is to, for people that are listening, you know, to not forget about these mothers and about these fathers and about these family systems that God tells us to worry about all of that. Absolutely. That we can't just caught up, get caught up in the moment and with our tunnel vision on mm -hmm. the baby. Yes, we want to save babies and we don't want babies, babies to die. But if we're not encompassing the community, mm -hmm. if we're not looking at the whole picture, if we're not looking at the body, yeah. then it's very problematic. It is. Our CareNet president, he, uh, under the Pro Abundant Life, he says, you know, Bible says, good religion is looking after orphans and widows. Our modern day widows are single moms. Our modern day orphans are those children that are unwanted, mm -hmm. you know, and we need to do better as a community, especially a church community, as making sure that they're, they're raised well. We're helping mom, we're helping baby, you know, they're the most vulnerable um, for unplanned pregnancies. They're the most vulnerable for abuse. And so, yeah. Man, that's tough. So talk, talk to me a little bit about um, pro-life. So for people listening, maybe they don't know a whole lot. All they know is what CNN or Fox News tells them, and those can be very <laughs> <Yeah>. polarizing. <laughs> so tell me kind of when, when people hear pro-life, they think this, but what are kind of the, what's the spectrum that you see or that you've kind of experienced in doing this work? Yeah, so when people think pro-life, they, they do think political. Um, we always say we are the com compassion side of pro-life. Um, so unfortunately, you know, there's radicalism can be found anywhere. You know, um, we we labeled it like when, for example, when we had the lockdown last year, um, a lot of our people that we knew were pro-life um, made statements that were very just, you know, just detrimental to the body of Christ altogether. But especially when it comes to like life as a whole. Um, and then we kind of started using the label like they're not pro-life, they're anti-abortion. Like there's a big difference. Mm. You know, being pro-life is you care about the individual, you know. Um, and, you know, I find it interesting that a lot of my, you know, what you don't want is to be pro-life. If you're, if you're pro-life, you're pro-life. Right. So, I mean, we're not going to get into a big death penalty debate, but like, it's interesting to me how many people are pro-death penalty and anti-abortion mm -hmm. or anti-death penalty, but pro-abortion right. or pro-choice. Right. And so it's, it's just a, so that's. It's just crazy, the inconsistency. Yes, your systemic worldview should be fluid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so keep going, sorry. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, so there's that radicalism there. Um, we also have, you know, we know that some pro-choice sects are more um, what they would say pro-abortion, you know, because, for example, I mean, we're not pro-choice, but you can kind of say, well, they are in the sense that they want people to know they have choices. Yeah. They have options. Um, but there's a lot of that don't see that way. They want to know they want you to choose abortion. Abortion should be the choice that you choose. And that's not, that's not being pro-choice. That's being pro-abortion. Right. So there's those radicalisms, you know, but... And there's money that falls into that, right? I mean, there's oh, yeah. a lot oh, yeah. of systemic issues that come into uh, why people, pre, you know, are pro-abortion. Yes. Um, yep. You have like the, the abortion giant, you know, Planned Parenthood, which we don't have one here, but, um, you know, they profit, um, the majority of their profits are from selling abortions. And so I, I heard a director say the other day, um, they argue and say they care for women, but they, they sell them abortions, whereas we care for women and our services are completely free. Yeah. You know, so like there's comparisons in that regard. Um, there's also... Why don't people believe that? People believe that? No, why don't people oh. believe that? Like, because, you know, 
with Planned Parenthood, you hear, you see these political things, and I try to read as much as I can about the different things, but why would why do people think Planned Parenthood's good? Well, um, I'd say probably as a host of things. I can say maybe, you know, the media. Um, I can say there's there's some um, personal um, experiences with some, some radical pro-life groups um, where they were very just, you know, cutthroat and, and not caring for them. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many things, um, misinformation, um, like there's this, there's this, uh, you know, lie being spewed that Planned Parenthood does mammograms. I, I, I mean, it might've changed last year. I don't know, but I have yet to see them do mammograms, Right. you know, but there's just a lot of misinformation out there. Yeah. Cause you'll see that, that they, Planned Parenthood puts out, oh, they do mammograms, mm-hmm. they do, you know, um, contraception, they do all these things, but you guys do that too, right? Yeah, so we give them, so we don't do content, you know, whatever, but we talk to them about sexual risk avoidance. Um, but they do, so they do birth control. Um, now, I learned this just today, and so Guttmacher is a really good site. Um, they are, um, they're more pro-choice. So if you're looking for good information, that's a good place to find it. Um, so there's only 18 states in the U.S. that require pre-counseling before an abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so giving, you know, if a woman comes in and she says, I'm undecided, I don't know what to, I don't know what to do, um, are, are they going to counsel them? Are they going to give them information about their options? Or are they only going to sell them abortions? Well, if we know that legally only 18 states have to abide by that, then we know they're, they're just selling abortions left and right. But also, when it comes to the financial part of it, um, you know, I always tell my coworkers, I don't understand why. Uh, there's not more funding to help children in the foster care system. There's yeah. not more funding to help single mothers. Why is the funding towards just specifically, you know, Planned Parenting or Planned Parenthood? Um, no, it's a good point. I mean, last week the podcast was two of my friends who are, who foster and adopt, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to that preventative. Like they don't they don't have any resources, and they're willing to lay down their life and serve and adopt and foster and take care of these kids. You know, that's the other argument is like, oh, pro lifers, you know, like. There are a lot of pro-lifers yeah. who do a lot of amazing things, who do adopt and who do, you know, mm-hmm. foster and who do give money and time and who do put in energy and effort on loving on people. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, like you said, there's the fringes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, too, um, you know, talking about why do people think Planned Parenthood does a good thing? It could be also their, their own personal experience with an unplanned pregnancy. Absolutely. A lot of the times that's probably the case. Um, and just again, an experience with somebody who was very radical in their pro-life beliefs and just didn't, you know, represent Christ or the pro-life movement really well. Um, I, I personally, I believe in in having good conversations, civil dialogue with people who think differently, and finding a middle ground. I know the Bible says Paul did that often. Mm-hmm. You know, he tried to find that middle ground. Um, for example, um, I one of my core values is, is autonomy. So when a woman says, you know, but it's my body, it's my choice, to a degree I can understand where she's coming from. I can understand the autonomy. I would take it, you know, in conversation with her, I would take it to another level and say, Let, now let's consider the autonomy of also this child, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think conversation is important to have, um, but, you know, there's a constant bickering or there's only one-sided media streams. It's kind of hard to have those, those necessary conversations. Um, and people also think that uh, pro-lifers will also think that um, making abortion illegal is going to stop it. It's not going to stop unplanned pregnancies. People have had unplanned pregnancies for decades, you know, like going back to what we say, what we do, you know, creating a culture where abortion is unthinkable is, you know, changing the mindset of why, you know, you matter and you deserve someone who's going to be committed to you, not a casual sexual relationship. You know, you deserve someone who's going to love you for who you are and, and you know, love you like First Corinthians 13 says, you right. know, and having those deep conversations with 
with girls, that's going to change the idea of abortion. You know, you don't need birth control. Did you know that birth control is actually more detrimental to your physical health? Um, you know, then and, and you can't use an abortion as birth control. Even uh, pro-choice physicians will tell you that, you know. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, so there's a lot of uh, women that, gosh, we have one girl that's had abortions at least 12, you know, and I can't I can imagine like the stress that she feels. But um, there will be medical professionals that will tell you. I know Dr. Leventino, he's um, an ex-abortionist. He had a change, uh, change of mindset, change of heart years ago. Um, he will make the statement, you know, he's great when it comes to educating even late-term abortions, but he makes a statement that abortion is not an actual birth control uh, method. Um, you know, you're, you're, there's high risks for damaging, you know, perforation of the uterus, um, you know, um, you know, destruction of the cervix. There's so many risks physically for that to be considered an actual birth control. And then when you consider birth control, there's proof to show that it cause, it can cause strokes. Um, there's a linkage to cancer. Um, it changes the hormonal structure of women. There's there's proof to now show that it causes infertility in the later 30, early 30s. Mm-hmm. And so there's just these high risks that are, you know, when it comes to like the sexual revolution culture, encouraging sexual independency for women, it's part of it's it's the birth control. People will say things like, well, the abortion numbers have dropped. They have, and part of that has to do with birth control. Um, actually, also, Gen Z is having less sex um, than my, my generation, millennials. Are, are, and I don't know if it has to do with, um, I don't know if it has to do with having it more available to you on the phone. I honestly don't know. But um, I think the um, overall, I think the education aspect of it is also readily available as well. I would say this, I mean, this is not anything that I can prove. But other other than my work and reading and just talking to people all over the mm-hmm. world, um, I think the people nowadays, kids that are having sex, are having way more of it and way more violent and aggressive and different types of it. So they may be less that are having it, but they're not having the vanilla. Vanilla, I've seen that word, yeah. <laughs> the vanilla sex that we were having yeah. in the 80s and 90s. There's yeah. always been abuse. There's always been rape. Mm-hmm. There's always been these things, and that that's true. And mm-hmm. Um, that's a major problem. Um, there's always been a, a power difference between men and women. There's always been, you know, those things. And so I think the Me Too movement coming around was a was a fantastic thing mm-hmm. because it brought to light a lot of things that we all know and have experienced in life that you can get away with and that are problematic. Mm-hmm. But I think also what we've seen is this, like you were talking about, this empowerment movement out of that, right? Again, the fringes, not yeah. this huge group of mm-hmm. people um, that have made, you know, sexual revolution a, a big, you know, okay thing. I mean, I've had therapists tell my clients who are like, Hey, my husband's, you know, struggling with sexuality or struggling with pornography or struggling with this. And they're like, well, that's just what men do. You need to get over that because it's a totally normal thing for men to do. Mm -hmm. And I say, well, it might be normal, but let's talk about healthy. Right. Right. And I think that's gotta be a change in our conversation. Yeah. It's normal for teenagers to have sex with their boyfriends and girlfriends. Is it healthy? Right. You know, not a, not from like even a moralistic scriptural standpoint, which we can go there yeah. and there's plenty of good information. But if you're not a Christian, they don't care about the Bible. Right. 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 They're, they're not coming in saying, well, what does God say? Exactly. So we have to be able to give them good uh, research and history and, and an understanding of, you know, what their choices are so they can make informed decisions. Right. One of the things that we think about when it comes to um, educating the woman about her healthy relationships. So um, we know that over... of women will choose life for their unborn if the man is the partner is involved now he doesn't have to be married to her they don't have to be dating they don't have to be living together he just has to say i want this to be my child basically take the the fatherhood initiative the responsibility of fatherhood um the 
you know, feminist movement right now with sexual independency for women is, you know, deteriorating that line that says the male, the man is also a father. He's also a parent here. Obviously, legally, he has no right, you know, which is also demasculating for a man to say that I, I don't, you know, and so actually, one of the things that we do for our Bible studies, we do offer a Bible study for the man as well for the abortion recovery healing because mm, um, awesome. he's also impacted by that as well. Um, but yeah, so the sexual revolution's not really been that healthy. Um, and my favorite conversations with girls are the ones that have negative tests. You know, they have that sigh of relief. And I'll, I'll say things like, you know, remember this this feeling because, you know, if you didn't want to have a baby with this man, is he really worth your time? Is, yeah. Or is he really worth, you know, you, you know, you know, time and youth are the two non-renewable currencies. You don't get that back. Right. You know, do you want to waste your youth, you know, um, you know, fooling around with a relationship that's not going to last? Um, we talk about um, just knowing what love is. So um, a lot of times, you know, I'll ask them, you know, um, I had this one girl tell me, you know, I, I said, do you want to have sex with him every time he says, you know, I want to have sex? She says, no, you know how men are, though. I said, is he patient with you if you say no? She says, no. I say, is he kind? And she says, no. So I say, can I show you something? So I'll pull a Bible from our, our thing, and I said, you know, this is um, called the love chapter. You know, this is how you know someone loves you. Are they patient? Are they kind? You know, do they put you first? I said, if, if this person, if you tell him, I don't want to have sex, and he's not patient, or I don't want to, I don't want to do this, and he's not kind, I said, he's not showing you that he loves you. Do you know why God put this in here? Because this is how God loves you, and this is how he expects someone to see you. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, like, they'll screenshot it. I had one girl say, well, I need to do that for myself, too, because I'm not loving that person that way either, wow. you know. But it's, I mean, truth, again, this is revolutionary once it's brought to them. Um, but having those conversations, like, you know, you, um, if you, would you let somebody come into your vehicle and trash it? You know, you have standards for your vehicle you should have standards for your emotions you should have standards for your life intimacy is so much more than just physical intimacy is emotional intellectual all these other things and you know you should have standards for yourself to keep yourself the, the healthiest place possible it's so good yeah i think um it's interesting when you say that because within the last couple of years we've you know i work a lot with human trafficking and with purchase not for sale and we do a lot for women out of trafficking mm -hmm. and as i've been kind of walking through that i I've realized like all the guys that I see, all the men that I work with, you know, they're all also unhealthy sexually. They also mm -hmm. have no boundaries. They also don't understand, you know, we've been told yes means, you know, or no means yes. And that people are just playing hard to get. And you watch movies and films and books and, and it generates this narrative. And mm -hmm. so, you know, a lot of guys just have misconceptions. They've never been taught by a male right. how to treat a woman, how to act. You know, they think women like what they like, you know, I always use, um, like, uh, you know, when right now the biggest thing is guys and girls sending their self-nude pictures back and forth. Mm -hmm. And I try to tell guys all the time, especially teenagers, I'm like, no girl wants a picture of your penis. <laughs> you know, like that's yeah. not a thing. Yeah. You know, maybe some. But for the large majority, 98%. But boys think and men think that women think like they do. Right. Right. So because of biology, because mm -hmm. of testosterone, because of us being more visual creatures, we want, you know, we would love for our wives to send us a picture in lingerie or send us a nude picture. And so we do those things thinking that's what they would like. Mm -hmm. And no one's ever taught them that, no, we're different. And they right. might not like that. And it's right. not the same kind of arousing thing. But we don't do this education with them. And then they get in a situation with a girl thinking, well, she wants to, but she doesn't want to. And the girl doesn't know how to say no and set mm -hmm. boundaries. And it goes very badly. It does. But neither I, one of them know what's bad. Right. So they leave the situation just feeling shame and feeling mm -hmm. confused. They go talk to people who give them terrible advice. Mm -hmm. And then they're in my office at 35 trying to be married. 
and recover from 15 years of unhealth. Yeah. Because no, they never sat down and found out what was true. Right. And I say all the time, people, um, I mean, most of us don't know what love is. Right. Right. You know, not just poor, low income, you know, or somebody who's been in an abusive situation, you know, it, it's all of us. And, you know, there's a, a rabbi that I love and he tells this story of fish love and he says, you know, I'm walking down the road and I see this man and he's got this fish and I say, Oh, you, you caught the fish. And he said, yeah, I love fish. Yeah. And he says, Oh, you love the fish. So you saw the fish, you caught the fish and now you're eating the fish. And he says, so much of life is, um, is fish love. It's seeing something and thinking, what can it do for me? No, that's not true. Right. But love is selfless. It's what can I do? How can I serve this person? That's not true. And so, so many times, you know, these people who are, who are having sex before marriage or having sex with a, you know, multiple partners, that get pregnant, it's because they're trying to get love. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to get affirmation. They're trying to find connection. And ninety nine percent of the time, it's because they came out of a home that didn't give mm-hmm. them that. Absolutely. No matter how much money they made, no matter how what what their ethnicity is or gender is, if they didn't get the truth, in my opinion, the gospel, which is you're loved, you're valued, you're mm-hmm. secure in who God says you are, and in how we're treating you as parents. Right. Then you go looking for it in all these situations. Yeah. And so I think it's beautiful what you do because, man, y'all do such a good job of encompassing all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not just let's not ha- let's not have an abortion. Right. Right. It's like we're not even have to talk about that. Right. Let's love you and disciple you and be, you know, in relationship with you and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to prompt what it's going to prompt. Absolutely. A lot of my favorite conversations, I'm, I'm honestly, even though obviously the, the information is given, our yeah. main topic of conversation is what's going on in her life, what's going on in her relationship. Uh, a couple weeks ago, I had a girl, um, they called it something, my, the nurse explained it to me, um, postpartum psychosis. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit, a lot, you know, deeper than depression. Yeah. Um, and she was explaining to me that was her issue, that she had had that. Um, she had had cancer, a whole host of other things. And I mean, when I looked at her, I said, gosh, yeah, I, I can see you. I can see why you're in your position considering an abortion. And then to make matters worse, her pregnancy ended up being multiples. And so she's com- just completely, you know, dumbfounded. But um, ultimately, our conversation was just mainly about fear and just, you know, how fear has just gripped her her whole life. And the last statement I was able to say, and I knew it was a Holy Spirit moment, um, something else was was brought up with a nurse. and I And I just immediately when I said it, the girl looked at me and I was like, oh gosh, this is a Holy Spirit moment, you know? Yeah. And I said, you know, I get it. Fear is so big and it is so real right now in your life, but God is so much bigger. And she was a believer. Um, and she said, I needed to come here just to hear that, you know? And so, yeah, most of our conversations are just based on whatever whatever it is she's going through, whatever God wants um, her to hear. We always pray before. Um, we're very objective in the sense of our information, but we always pray beforehand, say, you know, Lord, you know, we're your ministers. We are your co-laborers and we're going in there. We're going to do work, but you're going to work with us. So give us the information that we need to do the best job possible. Yeah. So that's incredible. Mm-hmm. All right. So what are some things um, that people, well, we talked about this. I mean, we pretty much covered a lot of what me and you kind of planned on, but what are some main myths, I guess, or things that you want to kind of dispel while you're here let's see um let's see abortion empowers women um and so just even going back to post-abortion stress again you know there's um it's a possible risk a high possibility that you know people will go through not everybody will um on average um i forget his name now uh c everett coop he was a attorney or let's see surgeon general um he said that for 15 years of experience he said women there were studies done 
recently after an abortion, you know, three months after an abortion, when women were still mainly in that state of, you know, relief. But he says the studies were flawed because they didn't go way beyond to what his expertise did and to show the, the post-abortion stress even years, decades, even afterwards of how it, they truly did suffer afterwards. And so the the myth that it is it empowers women um you know sometimes the the myth or sometimes that statement you know uses um things to to say that motherhood is a disease Mm -hmm. you know i see ads sometimes propaganda from planned parenthood for example they'll say you know you can't do this you know you need to take this off your shoulders um and it's it's treating it as if you know a woman is incapable of being strong of being this strong entity that god created her to be and granted we know that not every woman wants to be a mom and not everybody not every woman will be a mom but motherhood in and of itself is not a disease. Um, it's not this, you know, um, thing that just takes away the empowerment of a woman. In fact, you know, it makes her feel much more confident. You know, sometimes some women love the idea of raising a child, raising the next generation, impacting somebody else. Um, I think what's interesting about that is I remember last year, maybe it was 2019, but there was a movement that went around on Twitter and it was uh, like shout your abortion or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it was a bunch of women saying how having an abortion was incredible for their life and is the best thing they ever did. And the part about that that's sad to me is now there are extremes on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. There are people who are shouting. I mean, for me, I don't like the idea of standing outside of the clinic with a sign yelling at mm-hmm. people not to do something, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like being in relationship with those people is the only way that anybody trusts you enough to listen to you. Right, right. Right, from a trauma-informed care situation, what y'all do is perfect because you're validating your—I mean, even you saying that, like, I could see why you want to do this. Like, that's so beautiful. Because all the time I had somebody call this week, somebody was suicidal and they were like, how do I talk them off the ledge? And I said, the first thing you need to do is you need to make it make sense for them. Mm -hmm. Like you need to hear their story enough so you can say, man, if I were you, I would want to kill myself too. Mm -hmm. Because that's going to deescalate them. They want to feel known. They want to feel seen. They want to feel understood. But our biggest fear is if we empathize that we're validating. Yeah. Right. That if we empathize, we're telling them, I agree with you and you should do it. Yeah. But what it actually does is it makes them open up their brain and be able to learn. Yeah. Right? It it allows truth to come in. So if somebody's standing on a bridge or somebody's got a gun or somebody's going to swallow some pills, mm-hmm. if we sit with them and say, hey, look, yeah, your, your dad's abused you. Yeah, your parents divorced. Yeah, you've got this issue. If I were you, I could see why you wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Man, they just feel so known and valid. It's the same way here. I can see why. If I were you, I would totally want to have an abortion as well. Mm-hmm. I would be so scared and so broken. I would fear everything in the future. I would not be able to take another step by myself. Mm-hmm. But then you get to say you don't have to. Yeah. Then you get to say, well, what, let's look at the truth and then make a good decision. But yeah. here's all the information. Mm-hmm. So you can have all the truth and all the knowledge and make an informed decision. And it's so sad to me because that's totally different than, than one person saying that abortion's fine because their experience was good with it. Mm-hmm. Like that's insanity. Yeah. You should, you know, that you should never say to anyone, in my opinion, my experience now dictates everybody right, else's experience. Right, right. But it's funny that that's kind of the, that's the opposite argument is like, oh, well, mm-hmm. I had a good experience with it. So I'm going to just shout it and I'm going to yeah. tweet it. <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, that's right. crazy. Yeah. First of all, I'd have to sit you down on my couch. And what I can guarantee is the fact that you're tweeting this means you're not a very healthy person. <laughs> right, right. So like it, it's kind of this counterintuitive thing in general. It's like healthy people don't get on Twitter and shout a, shout about abortions. Mm-hmm. They because that would they don't know if this person an abortion actually might be good or bad for them. Let's say we we agree that we don't know. Right. 
Well, when you get on Twitter and you post, I think you should do this, or I think you should never do this, you don't know what people's stories are. That's right. You don't know how you're influencing people. That's right. So if you're healthy, you don't want to speak like that in public. Right. Right. You don't want to take this massive stance and say, here's what you should do. That's right. You have to say, tell me your story. Yeah. Let me hear about you. Let me hear about what's going on in your life. Now let's decide together. Let's walk together through what you need to decide. Does that make sense? It does. It does. It makes me think about one of the things that we do in our trainings with our client advocates coming on because we don't let anybody loose in the counseling room. We want to make sure that they (laughs) have all the skills necessary, but we tell them, you know, um, spiritually speaking, you know, we know how the enemy is. He puts target on your back when you start to do things for the Lord, but you're going to find that you're going to be around people that God is going to specifically strategically place you around people who are post-abortive and you're not going to know. Mm-hmm. And because you work for a pro-life ministry, even though they don't understand that we're, you know, a lot different, um, they're going to immediately associate you as being a radicalist. And so you have to make sure that your words, you know, words matter and you have to make sure that your words, either you're helping de-escalate situations where people, I had a staff, she told me, um, she was sitting in her church pew and there was a woman that walked by and she was, had a big belly. She was unmarried. And two ladies behind her said, and oh gosh, can you see her? She had her unplanned, you know, she had a pregnancy. Can't believe she's walking around. And this woman walked around and said, and you're the reason why I had an abortion because of comments like that, you know? And so just like, you know, we have to be in the situations now where we're helping people think differently. And, you know, some people mean well, they do, or they're very passionate uh, about the vulnerable. I was, I was there once, you know, and they learn and grow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're saying statements and I mean, it's not wrong, but the context matters so much and you don't know if that person is still in their moment of vulnerability hurting and not freed yet and so you know you have to season your conversations with grace i don't I, i'm careful with my social media i don't just post abortion things you hardly ever do you see me yeah, if i do yeah. it has something else with it you yeah, know for sure um just because i don't know i have all these friends who no, are insane. i know when i was when we, we met and then i, I like kind of went through your social media i always do that with people who i'm mm-hmm. going to have on just to make sure i'm not missing anything yeah you know because and you do a great job of of doing a really good job balancing and you can see your heart and you can mm-hmm. see the gospel through what you do. Um, and so I was just really encouraged with that because I do have people who listen to this and are non-Christian. I mm-hmm. do, we do have people out there who are hurting, who are post-abortion, who I want this podcast to be enriching and loving and, mm-hmm. and graceful Absolutely. for them and not shaming. And Absolutely. I want the information that people hear to go, okay, whoo, I'm passionate about this, but maybe I should do that differently. Yeah. Right. Maybe I should take, you know, pump the brakes on this and maybe I should go have a relationship. Maybe yeah. I should call the care pregnancy center and say, Hey, how can I serve you? Yeah. You know, how can I come alongside you? So that's, that's another thing I wanted to say was how can the average person like help in their area, but specifically here, um, you guys, or if there's not something like this in their area, in their area, I guess they could start one. Yeah. Um, so in there, so I tell you, honestly, Two of the biggest reasons why a woman will have an abortion is fear of the unknown and fear of being alone. And a lot of times she is alone. She's abandoned by the male partner. She's abandoned by family, friends. Um, sometimes she's abandoned by her church. Um, and that's the saddest to me because that's the most important time that you should be the church. But uh, if you don't have a, if you have a pregnancy center by you, something that we are always linking with all the time is a ministry called Embrace Grace. Mm-hmm. So they are a pro-life ministry that comes through the church because they want the church to be seen as the hands and feet of Christ. Um, it's an emotional support group. So they host it in their church building um, with women um, just like them that are facing unplanned pregnancies, whether they want to choose adoption or want to choose to parent. Um, it's eight weeks, and then afterwards the church throws them a massive baby shower so they're able to get all the items they need. Wow. Um, it just it further shows that compassion and that love. Um, you know, 
I, I believe in individualism. I believe we're all missionaries in every facet of our lives the Lord uses. Um, and we screw up sometimes, I know. But at the same time, we can also have opportunities to make things better. And so like, whereas I, you know, that loved one of mine, I said it the wrong way all those years ago. I now am so intentional to say things correctly and to even go above and beyond what my coworkers will say is extra. I'm, I'm extra in my compassion sometimes, you know, <laughs> to the point of uh, too, too bubbly. But so that people know that, you know, um, love is here, you know, compassion is here, empathy is here. Um, you don't necessarily have to agree with someone's lifestyles to love them as an image bearer, you know? And so, um, even having those conversations with individuals, I had one with a lady the other day, um, we were at a life rally and, uh, I, I go to these rallies, especially to share about the pregnancy center. And we're talking about a specific lady who, um, is very hateful towards our ministry. Um, she's, she has been for a long time, but it, it's because she personally has some terrible experiences, um, sexual abuse in her history by a religious fanatic. And so now she couples her abortions and her abuse with religion. And so she doesn't even honestly see the abortion, the abortion side of what we do. She sees the religious side of what we do. And I was just explaining to this lady, you know, because she said, how can people have abortions? How can people do that? I said, sometimes people are just stuck and they're hurting and we need to minister to that pain mm -hmm. first before we even have those right or wrong conversations. And, you know, she kind of looked at me and said, everybody has an excuse of why to kill babies. And I said, well, that conversation is not going anywhere positive right, today, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, I said to her, you know, and that those conversations are so detrimental. If somebody were to hear you say that. Oh my that, gosh, awful. You know, this is the two things I always try to teach my clients and people not to say ever if you're a Christian, mm -hmm. really, if you're a person, but as a Christian, especially one is, um, I would never do that. Mm -hmm. And then two, how could someone do that? That's really good. You know, because if you're, if you're in Christ, if you have received the grace of God, if you've forgiven for mm -hmm. all your sin and brokenness, mm -hmm. If you've sat in that, if you've looked in the mirror, then you know you're capable. If you had, if you had the same background, if you mm -hmm. had the same story, if you had the same situation, you would have made the same choice. Absolutely. So to look at somebody and say, "How could someone have an abortion?" Like I get it. I mean, it breaks my heart, right? Mm -hmm. it, and I know it breaks your heart to think of what people can do to themselves, mainly because I know how painful it's going to be, mm -hmm. and Absolutely. and I know the hope that is that is out there. But I also completely understand why somebody who doesn't have support who has his, his, you know, his terrible, horrible trauma, mm -hmm. you know, has been raped, has been abused, right. has been abandoned, would choose an abortion. Yeah. yeah. And, and I wouldn't ultimately say that might be the best thing for them, but I'm not them. That's right. That's right. And so all we can do is give them the most information, the most love. And then well, again, what I love about you guys is no matter what they decide, you're still there. That's right. One of the other myths um, is, women who choose abortion are monsters you know yeah. we always say you know no girl grows up says i can't wait to have an abortion one day um you know by a host of, of events that happen in her life you know she becomes uh, sometimes a victim to her circumstances um and again like my little pet peeve you know why is you know why are we targeting her as being the the person you know because she's showing her sin you know she's showing her you know her pregnancy why are we targeting her why aren't we going through the full circle where's the family why aren't they supportive where's Amen. the husband you know you know all these things that'll preach um, right there <laughs> yeah. And, um, and ultimately, you know, understanding that, you know, where are we taking our own responsibility mm -hmm. and how we've enabled this culture? That's right. That's right. And it's so easy to cast stones, you Ooh. know, because we, we don't see everybody's sins, you know, but we can see others and we think, well, we're more righteous if we do that. Um, I think, um, I think religion, uh, an area that is very religious, my husband and I, we, we say that all the time. We, we despise religion. We want authenticity. Mm -hmm. I want an authentic relationship with God, the real God or nothing at all, right. but an area that fuels the religion and the traditions and, or just, you know, just the, the model of everything has to look a certain way and be perfect. Um, sometimes those are the most 
safest field areas for abortions because they, they can't break away from I can't I can't come into church looking like this or I you know I can't um, have them know that I've had I've had sex outside of marriage um, sometimes a lot of the times the girls that we see come from those backgrounds and it's not helping them to to you know have this model of perfection that they can't reach but rather coming alongside them and saying hey I'm so sorry I can't even imagine you know gosh what if she got into a toxic relationship because her father was sexually abusing her but nobody asks questions to say, Absolutely. you know, what, what brought you to this guy? You know, they immediately say, you're terrible at picking men. But they don't realize that sometimes that's all she's ever known her whole life. And she has nothing different. Man, that's so good. Yeah, I mean, I see it all the time. Yeah, you yeah, I bet. Yeah. You know, walking through this with people and getting to hear, see their lives, you know. I don't think there's been a situation in my career where I've, I've, I've heard a behavior or mm -hmm. a, a sin or a consequence or whatever, however you want to term it. And then heard their story and been like, oh, my gosh, that doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. I'm always like, oh, that makes perfect sense. It does. It does. You know, but we that's what being pro-life or pro-love or pro-abundant love and being in relationship with people. Mm -hmm. Right. Same thing with foster care. Same thing with adoption. You can't just be super pro something on a bumper sticker. Mm hmm. You know, go to the walk. That's great. You know, donate your money. That's great. Oh, yes. That's another pet peeve of mine. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go ahead. You, you go. Yes, I tell them, you know, all that. Working in this industry, I love what we do. And because, you know, we don't get paid a lot, obviously, we're a nonprofit, but um, it's so rewarding to see people, um, to see the freedom in their eyes, to see, you know, love and their family grow all the things but it frustrates me because so many will say i'm pro-life or you know i care about this and their bumper sticker only pro-life or their facebook posts only pro-life um you know even churches you know we're here for you but they don't come alongside what we do you know Ooh. we are actively saving human lives if you care about that you know we are actively helping women come from brokenness of abortion you know to freedom um anyway that's not a peeve of mine no it's good i mean that same thing my friend shannon last week we were talking about it and she was like yeah you know they were talking about church in Louisiana and they mm -hmm. were saying there's more churches in Louisiana than there are kids that need to be adopted mm -hmm. like that's insane it is but it just speaks to the problem we have with American church and American Christianity and that is the problem it is. I mean I get why the world I get why um, pro-choice movement despises us we've given them enough ammunition mm -hmm. to say hey let's come up with some other yeah. avenues of why this should work and they're not wrong mm -hmm. they're a little right you know, and the right is a little right, but there's a lot of wrong in both of those stances. Right. Um, and if it's, in my opinion, not about Christ, not about service, not about the person, not about loving and dying to the person that you're sitting in front of, mm -hmm. then you're going to be all wrong. That's right. You know, That's And right. so I think y'all do such a great job of balancing that. And just the fact that you allow, you know, the person to make the choice and then come alongside them afterwards. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just such a beautiful thing because it's so impactful because people are going to make those choices they and are. we can be idealist all we want to and pretend like we can prevent that from happening, but you're not going to. No, we have clients all the time and we always tell our client advocates that are new, you know, you, you don't save that baby that client chooses life for that baby and you have the uh, opportunity to plant seeds for the Lord and you don't save that client, you know, it's just so because good. you share the gospel doesn't mean you're going to save them. You know, there's not, it's not <laughs> a no. Harry Potter, you know, sinner's prayer, you know? <laughs> yeah. you know, you need to plant, plant seeds and God is faithful to water those seeds. And he's, and you know, we think so highly of ourselves. Sometimes we're not going to make it in this ministry because if we think we're the one that has to save this baby, then we're going to fall short because it's oh, not yeah. going to happen. And you're going to be exhausted. Absolutely. I have clients, you know, choose abortion almost all the time. But, you know, at the same time, I have clients that I've loved them well. I did my part well. Yeah. And that's that's an eternal perspective. Mm -hmm. 
you know, it's looking at it as like, okay, I'm, I'm not here just to do this one thing. I'm here to be that's in a right. relationship and, and, that's right. and trust that God's going to do the rest of it. That's right. That's so good. All right. Um, let's see anything left. Um, we did that. Yeah. So how, what, I mean, anything that you'd like, like to close with that you'd want people to know, um, that we've missed? Um, oh, I guess, well, you know, I don't know if you touched on it last week or not, but adoption uh, yeah. is one of the positive options. So we, um, I mean, and you know, I see a lot of girls that come in and like, oh no, I can never choose adoption. Uh, recently a client told me she had negative views about adoption. That's one of the options we share about. Um, later in the counseling room, I talked to her some more. It turns out that her youngest siblings were adopted and they just found out really recently they're, they're adults and they're suffering with it. And so she says, I could never do that to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, there's a team of us. Some of us were adopted. Some of us have adopted. So we are able to speak into that. But, um, I think the misconception about adoption is that there, um, there's only one way to do it. So we love educating them on saying, Hey, there is such a thing as open adoption. You know, you can choose your family. Um, in the state of Louisiana, the mother, the birth mom does not pay. Hey, um, you know, you can um, be as involved as you want to be in your child's life. They can know exactly who you are. A lot of times, you know, they take vacations together. They grow up together. Um, and then it's the most flexible because you can opt out of it at any time. Even in the hospital, you can opt out of adoption or you can choose it if, if you want it to be, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so, yeah, so I think the education part of it is so key. Um, another thing that we do as far as, far as parenting goes our parenting center, we do co-parenting classes. Um, just because a woman is pregnant doesn't mean that that's her husband. You know what I mean? Like just because she's pregnant by this man doesn't mean they have to get married right away. And a lot of times they shouldn't be married to that person. Yeah. So just even talking about, I mean, that's amazing to hear because I would think that the, the, you know, the more liberal thought or pro-choice would think that a Christian would never say that, right? Oh, no. You're forcing him to have the baby. You want him to get married. They have to, you know, like there's just all these myths around it that aren't true. Yeah, no, I mean, they are true in some areas, but not for everybody. No, not at all. Because I mean, gosh, I mean, God cares about the whole of that individual. And especially if he's an abusive person, you know, they're, they're, uh, they're unequally yoked in the sense that they don't have the same core values. It's not going to work. But at the very least, we help them to co-parent peacefully. Um, and so we do, we do that through our parenting classes. We also encourage counseling outside, you know, um, so and and we're no we know that we're not the end all for everything. So we're huge on um, resources, local resources, especially for them. So when it comes to like adoption agencies, we 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 are fangirls of your uh, organization because <laughs> we are all the time sending people to you. Um, we have Brave Love is a huge um, adoption educational resources that, that just is online. Um, oh. Uh, abortionchangesyou.com that is like a little card that sometimes I'm, I'm having a girl let's say her boyfriend in the waiting room um he wants let's say he wants the baby but she's kind of wants to know her options so i have this little card that i can give to her she can put in her wallet because because knowledge is power she needs to know about her options and so the, the card leads her to a website to where it's all abortion testimonials not just of women who chose an abortion but uh, the husband or the boyfriend, parents even. Um, and I tell her, you know, look, I, if I go to a new hair salon, I will look at reviews on Google because I'm not going to have them chop off seven inches. That's I right. love my hair, but your body is so much more important than my hair and mm-hmm. your emotional well being is so much more important than my hair. And so you need to know what have people said who've been there before. And so that's what that is. It's just honest testimonials. Um, it's uh, completely unbiased. There's no religious affiliation with it or anything like that. Um, we, um, give them, uh, information for shelters locally. We have a maternity home where we send our girls to heart of hope is another uh, sister ministry of ours. They actually came out of our pregnancy center years ago. They just celebrated 10 years. Wow. So they, um, have girls from ages 12 to 22 and now even they can have them till after they've had the baby. Um, 
Um, let's see what else the resources embrace grace there's a lot of local churches here that host embrace grace groups um, we have our uh, post-abortion uh, resources with us we even have one that's non-faith-based um, it's faith-based in the sense that the stories it's called the power of your story the stories are all stories of women who had gone through abortions and had found healing through their faith but if someone is let's say a non-believer and they don't want to be the pressure of doing an extreme bible study which we mm-hmm. do offer those too we have that available to them but Support after abortion.com is a huge resource um, worldwide now that has a whole bunch of groups, even local, even Zoom, that are available to women too. That's awesome. Thank you so much for coming on yeah, here. Yeah, thank you for I having ho- me. I hope this is super helpful for people to know, you know, how they can get plugged in um, as a Christian. If you're listening to this and you're, pa- and, you know, you're passionate about widows and orphans and those that are, you know, at, at the most risk, then here's a great place in Treeport and Bozier to get plugged into. Uh, and so please do that. Please pray about uh, the opportunity to go to the Care Pregnancy Center and support them financially, emotionally, in prayer. The one thing we can all do is pray uh, mm-hmm. for these men and women who are struggling, who are lost, who are broken, who are hurting, who are stuck in a situation feeling hopeless and hopeless. And, and man, we can just pray to the God we know that loves them and wants to adopt them mm-hmm. um, and that has adopted us. And so that's one. And then if you're listening and you're not a Christian or you're on the fence or you're like, you know, I don't really know if I believe in all this stuff and, you know, I'm super pro-choice and all those kind of things. Just know that there are Christians, there are people in the world who are also pro-choice, you know, that it doesn't have to be, I want an abortion or I don't want an abortion. It's that people want women to have all the information mm-hmm. and to be able to ask hard questions and to have hard conversations so that they can make the most informed decision that they can make. And I mm-hmm. think y'all do that really, really well. I'm so proud of y'all. Glad to refer back and forth. And, uh, you know, after we met a couple of weeks ago, I was just like, man, this would be a great person to talk to. And I love your passion. And then, you know, seeing you do the walk and do the mm-hmm. fundraisers. That's another thing I was like, man, uh, gift for goods coming up. So yeah. I was hoping this would be an avenue to just maybe the people that listen could flood you guys with some support and some love. And yeah. So shameless plug yeah, <laughs> gift for, for good sure. um, is coming up May. I think it's May 4th or May 6th. It's the Tuesday. Um, first week of tu- first Tuesday in May. Um, so gift for good NLA.org. You can find care pregnancy center and it helps us. We're raising money for our curriculum this time around for our parenting center. Absolutely. So put your money where your mouth is. Um, you know, anyway, uh, thank you so much. And that's the close of episode 26. So please subscribe on our YouTube channel. Uh, leave us a review if this is helpful for you on our uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. God bless you guys and have a good week.